This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me today is, well, a man whose own book who's going to be out is called My 40-Year Career on Screen and Behind the Camera. It's out a little bit later this year. Um, It is one of the great pleasures of this podcast that occasionally um, I get ridiculously starstruck and probably will stumble over my words. The man I'm talking to today You've seen him across television, you've seen him across cinema, you've probably watched some of his great films, but for me, he's in the greatest action film peerlessly ever made, other than probably the greatest, uh, we're talking about the greatest film I think ever made is Heat, but the greatest action film ever made is 1987's Predator, and his character basically steals every single moment that he is in, from breaking a from breaking a, a razor on his face, from threatening to kill Carl Weathers, and actually you believe him, um, from singing um, singing songs to himself as he's losing his mind, um, from just the coolest, best tough guy friendship of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking to Bill Duke, who played Mac in Predator, and I'm just absolutely thrilled to have you on One Heat Minute. Bill, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So today... Uh, Bill is just about uh, is 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 a filmmaker, a director. Um, what I didn't know when I pitched to ask Bill on the show, um, but I've since learnt in researching. You know, this is a Michael Mann, nineteen ninety five Michael Mann film, and I'm going back through Bill's incredibly intimidating resume, and you've directed on Robbery Homicide Division and Miami Vice and Crime Story and all of these uh, Michael Mann uh, uh, produced things in your career in and around this. Um, even where you're in Red Dragon, which obviously Michael Mann connection there with Manhunter. Um, so uh, what, even outside of that, I was looking at Bill's current resume and some of the amazing work that he's doing. And I thought, you know, one big thing I wanted to do on the show was to talk about the African-American experience, especially with Donald Breeden, who's Dennis Haysbert's character in this film. And there's this amazing minute that we're talking about, the 101st minute of Heat, where Neil McCauley, Robert De Niro, walks up to Don Breeden, Dennis Haysbert's character, and makes him an offer that is that he can't refuse. And I thought, what better than to talk to a filmmaker who, and a filmmaker and a person who's made it their goal to sort of mentor young African-Americans and has also been in some of these phenomenal um, films that we're going to get into. But uh, I thought I would just jump straight in and uh, we could watch the minute and then we could dive into talking to you. Bill, does that sound good? No problem. All right. So, guys, Bill and I are going to watch this. We're going to edit this so you guys can hear it in crystal clarity. Um, but then we'll come back and we'll, uh, we'll talk about the minute. Hey, Neil, man, what up? What's up, brother? 
you doing here? What I'm doing is I'm looking for a driver when handle scanners and a radio right now, today. You remember the drill? Yeah, man, sure. You cool? Oh, man, now you know I'm cool. One answer, yes or no, right now. What an incredible minute. Good minute. So, Bill, let's talk. Firstly, thank you for being a part of the show. Secondly, what did you think of the minute? Have you seen Heat? And were you ever involved? I'm sort of looking at some of the actors and cast, and I've heard some rumors about different actors being involved in around the film. This seems like right at the time that you were... uh, um, acting in some pretty big projects. Was this something that ever crossed your mind considering you sort of, you know, did Robbery Homicide Division and Miami Vice and Crime Story? Was this ever a film that was on your radar? No, not really. It wasn't. But I'm uh, watching that, you know, I love the performance because, um, you know, it's in terms of acting, one of the greatest parts of acting, people think it's talking, right? But listening. Yes. You know, and he, and, and he had to make a decision. And so the silence between them is as powerful as speaking. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what they're, what, what they're able to convey to each other. It's not it's not anything in the words. The words are... The... You're exactly right. Not the words. It's the human interaction. And do you, when you're in your films and in your work, I mean, I'm... I'm, I, I know you and a stack of people who are probably listening to you know from something like Predator, but it's like there's so much of what you do in that film and so much of what you've done in your work where you don't, you don't say anything. You don't need to say anything. It's all about the yawning gaps in that, that silence mm-hmm. in, that, in that moment. I think, I think that acting um, has a lot to do with responding to the person you're working with. Yes. And that even means when you're doing, you're by yourself on screen. Um, the truth of what you're going through as an actor with a character in terms of what the author and director has asked you to do. And it's really a matter, that, that, I think that's one of the most courageous parts of acting people understand. They think it's saying the lines. But it's really surrendering to um, the human being that you're portraying. Yes. I know that sounds a little strange, uh, but as you act and, and the lines, remember to rise the lines, the lines become secondary to the presence of the person who's speaking the lines. Make any sense? Yes. Yeah, because you know it, you're, you're, trying to, you're trying to access something that's not in the words. But they're in you because you know, you've been called upon to be that, but it takes a lot of self-trust and courage to do that. Yes. And when you're, so, you know, you've worked across from big performers and when you're someone like Dennis Haysbert, this time of his career, you know, 95, he's just bursting onto the scene. He's been getting that renown. How is that? How can, can you describe what that would be like for him as an actor 
and what you'd have to sort of, in your mind, what you'd have to do when you're standing across from someone like De Niro, because you've definitely stood toe-to-toe with big personalities, these big egos. And so you would imagine that it's like he's, he's got a million things going through his head as well as the script, as well as this character. What, what kind of things do you think are going through his head in this moment as he's trying, this is his, like, pivotal moment of the film? You know, the person in front of him is no longer about the mirror. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That character that's challenging him, and he has a very, very difficult decision to make. And honoring and accepting the truth of that within himself, uh, with this person that's poking him, is really the truth of the moment. And, and he did it very, very well because it wasn't an easy decision. No. He had to make a very misimpacted rest of his life. And you saw that there. Yes. That, that's, that's, that, I think it's the greatness of acting. And even as a character, as an actor, he was able to really bring that. You know, some people would just look right and just say, okay. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And well, especially because it's even, you know, we're, we, we're tackling this film and phenomenal performances and the score and just the blocking and the space between the characters and all that tension. We're tackling it a minute at a time. And so it's not even a whole, the whole of this minute isn't even just the question or, or the interaction. So we're having in this moment to watch him have to decide, do I stay on the straight and narrow and keep cooking in this kitchen and keep being abused and have some of my pay taken and at the same time you know do I go back to what I know and so there's kind of this great you know you see it in their interaction he's really relieved he's happy to see Neil they've met each other in a prison stint and they're standing there together and it's like oh this old life but he kind of knows where that where it goes so that's what's all the more tragic right because I think what you said so beautifully was you sort of surrender to the character you also he in this moment has to surrender to the character's very bad decision <laughs> because he does know that it's his time for his entire life to sort of change exactly right exactly right and to be in that moment as an actor takes it really takes courage you know people, most people as actors they act yes and that's not what acting is. It's called, it shouldn't be called acting. It should be called being. Yes. You become that. You don't say the words in a way that you think are effective or try to be charming or smart. You don't do any of that. No. You become that human being, that flawed human being. And, you know, take something into that. So let's jump, let's jump uh, to a slight tangent for a moment. You obviously have been around the man who created this. Can you give us any insights about working alongside or in a Michael Mann project like Robbery Homicide Division for folks who may not know is it's pretty much inspired by um, Vincent Hanna, Al Pacino's character from Heat. Like his crew is the Robbery Homicide Division and it came around, it was a extremely critically acclaimed if you haven't heard of it and a phenomenal series it's short-lived but a phenomenal series pound for pound a really great um cop show if you're if you're into that sort of thing and crime story was dennis farina's big break who we all know and love may you rest in peace miami vice i mean of you know 
pop culture changed and television changed with Miami Vice. So what was it like being on some of these massive, critically acclaimed shows and you as a filmmaker around them? Like, what were those experiences like for you? Sure. In those days, um, there were not a lot of black directors. Yeah. Michael Schultz and a few others. But first, to have the opportunity to be directing those major shows was a new thing for minority directors. And so that was, it means there was growth. Something had occurred that had not happened before. Yes. Um, And to be able to do that, you had to be better. You had to have mastered the craft, not only in terms of the vision of the film or the series, uh, but you had to master the major obligation of the director, which is management. Yes. And it's management of three things. Time, people, and money. <laughs> yes. You can have a great imagination, but if we don't bring it on a budget and on time, we are not going to work. Yes. So TV is, a, is an incredible exercise in terms of the practice of the skill of management. Yes. Because in those days, you had seven days to prep, seven days to shoot. It gave you a couple of days to cut your version of the series. And they cut it based upon their vision of what it should be. So you had to really understand that, you know, you didn't have much time to do it, but once you once you got that down, you're given a feature to direct in two months. <laughs> yes. You know what I'm saying? It feels like a holiday. Like a holiday. <laughs> you know, yes. Television was a great training for me. And uh, working with wonderful actors, um, you know, and Michael Mann, who really is a genius, you know, he's not only um, a director, producer, but a writer also. Yes. And he pours his soul into his projects. When he's working with you, he just doesn't leave you on the set. He talks to you about why he created this character, what the character's about, um, you know, why he put this particular scene together. He's very detailed. Yes. So as an actor, you have guideposts to go by, which is rare because some directors think of a camera, um, and editing, you know nothing about actors. Yes. I was working with the young director, and uh, I asked. You know, I was having trouble with the scene as an actor. I went up to him and asked him, "Can he help me?" You know. And after two minutes of talking, he looked at me and he said, "Make it more blue." <laughs> what the hell? What does that mean? <laughs> Did he mean lighting? Did he mean, uh, you know, in the old words, rude? Did he... <laughs> who knows? That is such... He wasn't used to talking to actors. You know what I'm saying? He yes. just and all that stuff. Yes. When the actor needed him for advice, he didn't know what to do. And so it's layering in. That's that's your experience as someone like a man or those big, you know, those sort of genius characters you've encountered. It's layering in and being able to have those questions of purpose and really helps you guide and craft yes. that. And I think in this film, and particularly in this scene, um, in Heat, 
every character has an extremely rich backstory. I think they spent months crafting these really long backstories. And even the just the preceding minute, which we would have talked about as you guys are hearing this, um, the, the, it's actually the introduction of his character or, or the connection between these two characters. Like, oh, he used to hang out with so-and-so in... in um, he used to hang out with so-and-so in, 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 in Folsom. He was in B-Wing, etc. So he's, you're building a bit more of this background to how these guys would know each other, why they would be why there'd be camaraderie when he goes up to him and offers him a job, which you would hope, you know, right now, the audience as well, you both, you've got this really strange, um, almost like uh, conflicted moment because you want to see him take the job so you can see the heist go down in this movie because as a viewer from that purely, you know, energized perspective, you're hyped up to, oh, here we go. This is the confrontation. Mm And at the same time, you're like, please don't, Don. You know, you've right. been through it. You've been through the ringer. And it's that yeah. you as the – I suppose that demonstrates what you're talking about, which is how effective the layering in of all those – you know, all that – what the character's about, why they're there, how they arrive to this scene, adds, layers in all that meaning so that in this moment you've got a really deeply conflicted moment as well as opposed to just – being casual, as you said before, it's like just saying the line, delivering it, trying to deliver it with charm or confidence. It's got none of that, none of that essence. Well, what you just said is eloquent in the sense that it's what many movies are missing today. Oh, yeah. Because you have car crashes and explosions, gunfights, all of that, right? The question is, do you care about anybody in the film? <laughs> yes, yes. You know, do you care about the main character if he dies or not? Yes. And the thing is, there's a craft to writing in the sense that you can have all these other things, like in this film. Yes. But when he has to make that decision, you're with him, like you said, oh, don't do it. Do it because I want to see the action, but I know the impact it's going to have on your life because you've been through so much. Yes. But that's in the writing. And then the writer, then the actor delivers the essence of that. That's the collaboration. Yes, and you're right. The, that the and I think a lot of you know you're in the most iconic action movie of all time, Predator. Um, so many people miss. You know, you can have the alien, and you can have the guns, you can have the explosion, but that's forty minutes or fifty minutes almost into that film. You know, there's so much about you guys, your rich histories, the individual relationships between the characters. You know, your phenomenal character, Mac having a sense of what Billy's doing when no one really has a sense of what he's doing, um, your relationship um, uh, to Jesse Ventura's character. You know, everyone's got these phenomenal little relationships and roles to play. And there's so much about all of that is you guys, you guys actually performing and playing off of one another. And then when your, you know, seemingly um, indestructible crew starts being picked off, that's when you're like, oh, my God, the stakes can elevate higher height you're like oh this is just if mac if mac can die then anyone can die you know if you know it's that that's where it's so it's so sort of beautifully crafted that it's so important to establish that right up front and i also like the fact that in the end um you know arnold was still a victim he yes. wasn't the superhero but no. uh, this predator was Smart, longer, yes. and everything. He had to come up with ways of surviving. 
And that was fascinating. He put the mud on himself accidentally. He put it to a climb, all that stuff. Yeah. I thought that was brilliant the way that was put together. It really did. <laughs> and you're totally right. He, there's no, he's not a conquering hero at the end of that movie. He's a broken man. He's just lying in the helicopter. These poor people are looking at him like, what the hell happened to this guy? Dude, there's no celebration. It's just like, oh my God, I can't believe I got out of there. Like I did, it was mostly, you know, craft because he was trying to outwit him. But at the same time, it's like that survival at the end. It's like, well, that could have gone either way. You know, that wasn't a certainty either way there. But it's much like this. In this moment, that's a toss of the coin moment right now. It's the, the whole movie rests on it. The whole mo- There are certain moments in great films where the whole movie rests on a moment um, yes. and an interaction. And I think the, the more that you are conflicted about which way you want it to go, if you care about the characters, the better. Um, so like you said, in this moment, it's like, and, and in so many moments in great action movies or just great movies that have got heart, it's like, oh God, please don't do this. Please don't do this. And then you get that great sort of uh, satisfaction, if you like, of it happening. Great writers. Yes. Who are, some of the, who are some of the great ones you worked with? Because you're, I'm just looking at your resume. Some of the, you know, you're in the limey, uncredited payback, which I think is just such a sardonic, phenomenal thing. You're in action, Jackson, American Gigolo, like Schrader. Hey, there we go. You know, you know the, the, there's, there's so many of these phenomenal writers that you've surrounded. You, you know, you, you've been around in your, your storied career. What are the writers that really stick out to you so that you've just thought, wow, they can really put that together? The Schrader was one of them because before that, um, um, I forgot the one, Richard Pryor below, um, something really, um, Richard Pryor uh, and um, I forgot who the other actor was, but it was an incredible film about unions in the car market and all that stuff. Blue Collar, Blue Collar. That was a great. That was a great film. Great film too. Yeah, very underrated, but that was a great movie. Um, and and um, the writing in that was, was spectacular. I mean, he has the ability to create character, not just create scenes, but you know, you care about the people. Yes. I think it was Japheth Kodo and Richard Pryor in that scene at the end where they thought they had won the battle and against the union and everything. Yes. And they were painting the car and somebody locked the door <laughs> yeah. with the spray paint and they choked to death on the paint. Yeah. That, that was, I've never seen anything like that in a movie. Uh, yeah. Yes. You no, know, but the, 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 the genius, the, the, the way of making it happen, the believability of it, those actors was made, you know, pretty common. Um, Marco Mann's a great writer also. Yes. I think Shane Black did a great job with Predator, right? And he acted awesome. Yes. John McTiernan, you know, just brilliant in terms director. There's a, there's a director that really has the ability to tell a story with him. Yes. Not just shots. No. He uses the camera as a storyteller. And it's brilliant I was I was struck by I was watching in preparation. I didn't. I first of all I didn't need an excuse to watch Predator again. Just so you know, um, happy to watch it whenever it comes across my television or if I ever want to watch it. But I just love. There's that you talk about visual storytelling for yourself in your performance. 
the way the camera moves in your famous moment where it's like Long Tall Sally, She Built Sweet, and you're sort of singing that song descending into madness. And the camera just sort of is doing this really amazing glide following you and going past you. And then it holds as you go past the camera. And there's just a moment where it sort of pauses. And I just remember looking at that flurry again. I was like, wow, that's a... For for you as an actor and for him as a storyteller, it's like the camera is just observing the car. To your point, the camera is just observing the carnage that these guys are about to face. You know, they're so they're they're right they're right in the thick of this, and um, we're just going to what doesn't matter. We're just going to watch them um, get torn apart. <laughs> if you like, we're going to watch this very objectively. Watch these guys get taken out one at a time. Too. Yes, one at a time. Yep, very nice. That's- that's the that's the drama and What I mean, you just talked about Paul Schrader. One one th- one thing I was just thinking in this moment, you know, Paul Schrader is a guy who, right, you know, seventy six is taxi driver and eighty is raging bull, and you know, you've, I'm just having a look. Blue collar seventy eight, so it's a couple of years after American Gigolo, which you were in with him, nineteen eighty, and he's now, you know, I think he's he's made a huge resurgence. Lots of people are talking about his movie, First Reformed, um, which is playing at the Melbourne International Film Festival, which your movie, new movie with Nick Cage, Mandy, is closing out the festival this year. Oh, really? Yeah, it's closing out the festival. I, I just looked at that just a moment ago because I've got some friends, because I'm in Sydney, I've got a few friends who are going, and I was like, oh, you're in Mandy, and it's closing the festival. So, um, But it's like... With some of those writers that you're working with, the Mans and um, the Schraders and things like that, is there like a is there like a moment that they have the muse where they just where the where the muse is just speaking to them? Because I look at Schrader, I think he's got he's kind of getting it back now. What is it about those guys in those peaks of their careers or those writers, those great filmmakers? Same with John McTiernan, you know, Die Hard, Predator, Hunt for Red October, all of them, bang bang bang. They seem to just like. I don't know, capture something in the air and they just make these amazing films all back to back, it seems like. Now, what I've discovered is beyond the internet. Yes. Something else comes in. Yes. I, mean, I, I don't know if I can describe it in words, but, <laughs> but once it comes in, it's like, you know, you ride that wave, you know, you ride it, you, tr- you trust it. Yes. Beyond your intelligence, your intelligence something larger. It's It's... It's one of the most wonderful experiences you can have because, you know, you may be up all night trying to figure it out or days or weeks, and but when it comes, bam. Yes. You go, you go with it. Yeah. Right? And that, that's what the, these guys have. That. They have the ability to just flow with the moment, you know, once it comes. I just watched the documentary on Spielberg. Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the, the recent HBO documentary. Oh man! When he was in doing the Holocaust film, Schindler's List, yeah, and and his wife had to come and sit with him because he couldn't go on without her because it was so painful. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yes, <laughs> I do. But he continued. He kept going. You know? Yes. And, and, and we talked about things that were so, um, made him so vulnerable. Many, most of, most of his life, he didn't want to be known as Jewish. He 
was ashamed of his heritage. He he talked about his parentals, his separation of his parents. It was a very warrior experience to a great, great man that you saw behind that his soul. Yes. Powerful, powerful. Yeah, because he's ready. He's uh, And it's sort of you look at it in retrospect and you're like, uh, when you look at that film again, it, it, it sort of reminds you of the impact because it is a guy who's bearing his soul, like a filmmaker who's bearing his soul. He's like coming to terms with it. He's looking at it in a really, with like this harsh clarity, but it's so emotional. Every frame is just filled with emotion and the performances and some of those tough movies you can't imagine. I mean, look, it's all well and good to pretend to torture people like yourself and uh, Carl Weathers and Arnold Schwarzenegger in the jungle, but when you're there try, having those people portray those incredible moments of you know history that toil it must just i can't can't imagine what it must be like for an actor or a director or a writer such as yourself or some of spielberg just there like dealing with it and and the emotional impact that it would have on you it's unbelievable because it's man's humanity the man that he's killing and it happened yes it literally happened and it's hard to believe that it did happen but it did. Yeah. And he, he just opened his soul to it. And it, I think it was a shock to him how deeply it impacted him. Yes. But he got through it. Well, I have to ask you now about Mandy. You've, you've, you're in uh, this latest Nick Cage film called Mandy, which is closing out the film festival, Melbourne International Film Festival. What is Nicolas Cage like to work with? The inimitable Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage is one of the most humble, supportive, and professional actors I've ever worked with. He comes to the set as the character. Yes. Leaves the set as the character. And when you're working with him, he looks at you and he says, Is there anything else you need from me? <laughs> yeah. to help you do what you're doing even better. He literally, I mean, it, it was really impressive. You know, he was really kind and supportive and professional. And, I mean, he works He works hard. Yes. He doesn't just, like, you know, go and have a joyful time. He is constantly bringing this spirit to the character every single moment. Even when they say cut. He sits down, sometimes over by himself in some place, and he comes back. Amazing. And it's getting lots of it's getting lots of buzz, Mandy. It's I think it is going to get a release in Australia very soon. Um, okay. It's going to get a re- but it's off the back of the film festival, so they'll wait. They're going to wait. You know, they'll they'll show it as the the big closer for the film festival, and then they'll let let us get a let us get a look at it. I'm really excited to see it. I can't wait. Um, well, look. Bill, I won't keep you too much longer. Um, I, I just have to say thank you for coming on to the show to talk, to give your insights. I mean, your storied career, you've directed movies like Hoodlums, you've been in Predator, but I just want to say I have the softest of all softest spots for Sister Act 2 where you directed Lauren Hill who, like, the, as, like, the biggest pop star in the whole world that you became, you know, just before. Um, so incredible um you've got a new film 
Created Equal, which is coming out very soon, which is about a um, a young up and coming lawyer who's defending um, a, a, a female. Uh, I think it's a nun who wants to become a priest. Is that right, Bill? Yeah. So very looking forward to seeing that. And your new book is out November this year, which is an autobiography called um, Bill Duke, My 40-Year Career on Screen and Behind the Camera. So I cannot wait to sort of dive into some of the stories that I've been researching. But thank you so much for being part of the show. You can order the book now on Amazon. I'm going to put the link. Guys, if, you, if you're listening to this just on whatever podcasting uh, app you go to, if you go to oneheatminute.com, There'll be an episode, um, obviously, when we when we release it for Bill Duke and I. And in the in the episode, I'll make sure I leave a link in there so you can click through straight to Amazon. So you can go get Bill's book. I'll be getting it. I've pre-ordered it. Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you so much for being part of the show, Bill. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And look, before you go, could I just ask you just to say one line from Predator? And it's not a long line. I just need I need to say it so that it's been said on the show. I just need you to say anytime. Anytime. Ladies and gentlemen, the inimitable, the legendary Bill Duke. This has been One Heat Minute. I've been Blake Howard, your host. Thank you so much for listening. Um, OneHeatMinute.com is where you can find us. Bill, you can find on the Twitter sphere at Bill Duke. Um, But Bill, thank you again. Guys, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Thanks.